Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to also check out our newly released podcast entitled By Study and by Faith, showcasing BYU devotionals that blend reason and science with faith, university disciplines with discipleship, and the scholarly with the sacred. Visit speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more details. When I was invited to come here, President Wilkinson suggested that I maybe talk a little bit about miracles. Well, it'll be a miracle if I do. I had a particular assignment when I was called to this position, or instruction from President George Albert Smith. He called me into his office one day and took hold of my hand, and while he was holding my hand and looking at me, he says, I want to say something to you, Brother Cowley. I says, well, I'm willing to listen. This is just a particular suggestion to you, not to all the brethren, but to you. He said, never write a sermon. Never write down what you are going to say. I says, what on earth will I do? He says, you tell the people what the Lord wants you to tell them while you're standing on your feet. I says, that certainly is putting some responsibility on the Lord. <laughs> but I've tried to live up to that instruction. And I've had some great experiences. And there have been times when the Lord has forsaken me. But when he hasn't, I've had the miraculous—well, I shouldn't say miraculous—the normal experience of the priesthood, of having the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I can bear witness to you, my fellow students here this morning, that God can work through his priesthood, and that he does work through it. I know that without any question of doubt. I've had too many experiences. I'm an expert witness about these things. A few weeks ago, I was called to the county hospital in Salt Lake City by a mother. I didn't know her. She said her boy was dying from polio. Would I come down and give the boy a blessing? So I picked up a young bishop who I generally take with me, and I think his faith is greater than mine, so I always like him along. So we went down there, and here was this young lad in an iron lung, unconscious, his face rather a blackish color, had a tube in his throat, and they said he had one lower down in the abdomen. He had been flown in from an outlying community. The mother said to me, this is an unusual boy. Not because he's my child, but he is an unusual boy. I think he was eight or nine years of age. So after they put these coverings on us, we went in and we blessed that boy. 
And it was one of those occasions when I knew, as I laid my hands upon that lad, that he was an unusual boy and that that kid had faith. And having faith in his faith, I blessed him to get well and promised him he would. I never heard any more about him till last Saturday. I was on my way to Murray to conference. I dropped in the county hospital and asked if I might see the lad. The nurse said, certainly. She said, walk right down the hall. As I walked down the hall, out came the boy running to meet me. And he ran up and he says, are you Brother Cowley? And I said, yes. He says, I want to thank you for that prayer. He said, I was unconscious then, wasn't I? And I said, you certainly were. He says, that's the reason I don't recognize you. And he says, come on in my room. I want to talk to you. He was an unusual boy. <laughs> so we went in the room. And he still had a tube in his throat. I said, how long are you going to have that there? He says, oh, two weeks. Two more weeks, then I'm all well. He says, how about another blessing? <laughs> so I said, certainly. So I blessed him again, and then I was in a hurry. I wanted to get off to my conference. And then he stopped me. He says, hey, how about my partner in the next bed? There was a young fellow about 16 or 17. I said, what do you mean? He says, don't go out without blessing him. He says, he's my partner. And I said, sure. And so I said to the boy, I said, would you like a blessing? He says, yes, sir. He says, I'm a teacher in the Aaronic Priesthood in my ward. And so I blessed him. And then he went and brought another fellow in. <laughs> is another partner. <laughs> and I blessed him. Now, except ye believe as a child, you can't receive these great blessings. We have to have the faith of a child in order to believe in these things, especially when you reach a college age and your minds are so full of skepticism and doubt and I guess there's some things you should doubt. But you can become as little children in these things. Now, miracles are commonplace, brothers and sisters. In 1851 or 52, Parley P. Pratt wrote a book called The Key to Theology. In that book, he says the day would come. These are not his words, but he said, in effect, the days would come when man would not be satisfied with going along the surface of the earth at the rate of 60, 70, 80, or 90 miles an hour, but he would use the air and go at the rate of 1,000 miles an hour. Now, in 1852, when he wrote that, he was crazy, wasn't he? He was mad. But he was a prophet. Today, it's just commonplace. Since the first time I flew from San Francisco to Australia, the time has been decreased 12 hours in flight, flying time. I see in the paper where they're going to have a jet plane from Vancouver to Tokyo, Japan, which will require eight hours to go between those distant points. 
Now, are they miracles? No, no, they're just commonplace. Just commonplace. The boy prophet went into the grove and prayed. Young lad, simple faith. He opened up his heart to God. He apparently reached out and got under his control by his prayer, the proper channel. And God and the Son came down and appeared to him. A few weeks ago, I sat in my front room and had Dwight Eisenhower come right into my front room. I saw him sworn in as President of the United States. I saw the parade down Pennsylvania Avenue, better than the people who were standing right there at the side of the avenue, trying to see the parade over other people's shoulders. All right in my own front room. Same thing in millions of homes. Now there was no wire connecting me or my home with Washington, D.C. Just these channels or whatever Brother Fletcher and others call them out here. Airwaves, whatever they are. But through those channels, I brought into my home the President of the United States and the inaugural ceremonies. If I'd have told you that would be done, if I'd have told you 25 years ago that would be done in this year, 1953, I know what you would have told me. Well, no man invented those elements out there. Man has invented instruments whereby he harnesses those elements but he never invented the elements. They're eternal. They've been there all the time. And if I can turn a little gadget and bring the President of the United States into my front room, God can bring himself within the vision of men. The Master can come within the range of man's vision because they have as much control over those elements out there and more control than man does himself. The Prophet Joseph said that Moroni appeared to him in his bedroom, I think it was. I've been back there to that house. I've stood there and wondered how he got through those walls, how he came in. I shouldn't wonder anymore. I was on a freight ship going to the Society Islands two or three years ago, and I was up in the chart room with the captain. And he was checking his chart, and I says, where are we about now? And he showed me on the map, and he said, would you like to see? where we're going. And I said, sure. And he walked over to a, some kind of a contraption, turned a couple of dials. He says, that's where we're going. And I looked into a piece of glass about so square, and I saw a beautiful island. I'd never seen it before in my life. 
was the island of Tahiti. And I was looking at it from that ship hundreds of miles away. Now, he didn't have a Kodak with a large telescopic lens taking a picture of Tahiti and showing me the proof and the print. He had an instrument that could reach out and bring into his vision islands hundreds of miles away. And he turned another dial and I saw several ships. He says, those ships are on their way to Australia. Now, I don't doubt anymore about the angel Moroni coming into the prophet's home. Man hasn't yet harnessed, harnessed all these elements. He's working at it, meeting with great success. But if I could bring the island of Tahiti by turning a button into the chart room of that freight ship, God can send a resurrected being through walls and roofs into the home of a young inquiring mind seeking the truth. I was on an island down in French Oceania one Sunday afternoon. I started fooling with the radio on whether you're supposed to play radios on Sunday afternoon or not. But I started turning the dials and all of a sudden I heard the voice of Richard L. Evans from the tabernacle in Salt Lake City. The strange thing about it was I wasn't in contact with Salt Lake City. I was in tune with a station at Houston, Texas. And that station was getting the program from Salt Lake City. And I was picking it up from Houston. I can't explain these things. Some of you fellows can. I can't explain them. But I had an instrument there which man had invented so that man could bring under his control and direction these elements out here. I was over in Samoa, couldn't sleep, worrying about the centipedes and so forth. <laughs> so I got up and it was three o'clock in the morning. And I went in the room where they had the radio. I started turning the dials. All of a sudden, I heard a voice say, Station KSL, Salt Lake City, the voice of Songs of Harry Clark. And I sat there and listened to Harry Clark sing for 15 minutes. And I had to get up the next morning at 3 o'clock because I'd sent him a wire to see if he got the wire. And he got it. He mentioned it over the air. So I listened to him sing for another 15 minutes. You know, the strange thing about it was, I was hearing him sing four hours before he actually sang. <laughs> and you talk about miracles. 
I got on a plane one day at Tonga. It was Saturday morning, the Sabbath of the Seventh-day Adventists. The head of the Seventh-day Adventist missions in the Pacific got on the plane with me. Down at the airport were his Sunday school children and the Seventh-day Adventist ministers, giving him a send-off, singing hymns, and so on. Well, we got on that plane Saturday morning, and we went to Samoa. When we arrived at Samoa, it was Friday, the day before we left Tonga. I just wondered how he was going to straighten out that Seventh-day business. He'd already had one Saturday, one Sabbath, and here he was again in Samoa on a Friday, the day before he had had the Sabbath. And the next day he had another one. Now I tried to find him to ask him from which Saturday he was going to start counting the seven days. Well, these things happen. This is going on all over the world. The missionaries down in Samoa didn't have a president for a few months. Well, I was the president, but by remote control. And I used to go to a Chinaman's home in Honolulu and tell him to tune in with one of our natives down in Samoa and tell that native to round up all the missionaries and have them come there. I wanted to give them some instructions. And so he'd tune in down there and get this young Samoan with his ham radio. And I'd sit there in that Chinese home and I'd talk to these missionaries down in Samoa give them whatever instructions I wanted to give them. But being the usual missionaries, I don't think they paid any attention. <laughs> I telephoned one day from Honolulu to my home. And I said to the engineer there at the radio phone place, I said, how can I talk confidentially to my wife? I says, I send this message out into the air, and anybody with a ham radio can reach out and pick it up. He says, yeah, that's right, but they won't understand it. And I said, well, why not? He says, well, when your words go out of this transmitter, we jumble them all up. There's no meaning to them. But when they go into the receiver on the mainland, they're all straightened out again, and your wife will understand them just as you spoke them. My, I'm glad of that. <laughs> I want to tell you why I get my prayers so jumbled up sometimes that I'm glad there's a receiving set over on the other side that'll straighten out the things I'm trying to say. And I believe that. I'm just simple enough to believe that. I'm simple enough to believe that if man can talk to man across the ocean and across the world, with these instruments that man can talk to God, that God has as much power as man, as much control over the, the elements. And so, brothers and sisters of the church, God has his priesthood here upon the earth, his power. And with that power, we can be used by God for the accomplishment of his purposes. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget it. I've had these experiences. I know 
Now, I've learned a lot from these islanders I see scattered around here. See Albert Fonga down there from New Zealand. I wish he'd teach you people how to rub noses. <laughs> That's what we do down in New Zealand, you know. You don't really rub. You just press, press your forehead and your nose against the nose and forehead of the other part person. It's a wonderful thing. You can always tell when they're keeping the word of wisdom down there. <laughs> All you have to do is walk up and greet them and sniff a little bit, and you've got them. You've got them. Be a good practice to have over here, maybe even with some of our BYU students. So if I ever come up to one of you someday and say, I'd like to rub noses with you, you'll know I'm suspecting something. Well, these natives, you know, live close to God, they have some, some kind of power. I guess it's because they just accept miracles as a matter of course. They never doubt anything. They used to scare me. Someone would come up and say, Brother Kali, I've had a dream about you. I'd say, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to hear about it. Oh, it was a good one. All right, tell me. Tell me. And they'd tell me something. Now, I remember when President Rufus K. Hardy passed away, first council of 70. I was walking along a street in one of our cities in New Zealand. One of our native members came up, a lady. She said to me, President Hardy's dead. I said, is that so? Have you received a wire? No. No. I know. I received the message, but I haven't received any wire. But she says, he's dead. I know. Well, I always believe them when they tell me those things. When I got back to headquarters, I wasn't there long, and here came a cablegram, said President Hardy passed away the night before. But she knew that without any cablegram. She told me about it. I got out of my car once in the city and thought I'd do some window shopping, have a little rest from driving. I walked around. And finally, I went around a corner, and there stood a native woman and her daughter. And the mother said to the daughter, what did I tell you? I said, what's going on here? And the daughter said, Mother said, if we'd stand here for 15 minutes, you'd come around the corner. Now, <laughs> she didn't have any radio set with her, except one down in here, where they get the impressions. After President Hardy died, we had a memorial service for him. I'll never forget the native who was up speaking saying what a calamity it was to the mission to lose this great New Zealand missionary who could do so much for them as one of the authorities of the church. And he was talking along that line, and all of a sudden he stopped and he looked around at me and he says, wait a minute, there's nothing to worry about. Not a thing to worry about. When President Cowley gets home, he'll fill the first vacancy in the Council of the Twelve Apostles and we'll still have a representative among the authorities of the church. And then he went on talking about President Hardy again. Well, I arrived home the following September, the 1st of October, I filled the first vacancy in the Quorum of the Twelve. 
Now, did that just happen by chance? Oh, I might have thought so if it had been one of you white Gentiles that had prophesied that. <laughs> but not from the blood of Israel. Oh, no, couldn't I deny it? Couldn't doubt it. Couldn't. And so, remember, we have great opportunities. Great opportunities to bless. Sometimes I wonder if we do enough in our administration of the sick. You know, when the disciples tried to cast out a dumb spirit, they couldn't do it. Or they didn't do it. The Master came along, and he immediately cast out the dumb spirit. Then the disciples said, Why could not we cast him out? And what did Christ say? This kind cometh not out save by fasting and by prayer. Sometimes we rush in, minister to a person, rush out and say, well, he won't make it. I know he won't. Of course, we have to, in the case of an emergency, go immediately. But sometimes I wonder if we have a little time if we shouldn't do a little fasting. This kind cometh not out save by fasting and by prayer. A little over a year ago, a couple came into my office carrying a little boy. The father said to me, my wife and I have been fasting for two days. We brought our little boy up for a blessing, and you're the one we've been sent to. I says, what's the matter with him? said he was born blind, deaf, he's dumb, no coordination of his muscles, can't even crawl, five years old. And I said, well, to myself, I says, this is it. This kind cometh not out save by fasting and by prayer. And I had implicit faith in the fasting and the prayers of those parents. I blessed that child. A few weeks later, I received a letter. Brother Cowley, we wish you could see our little boy now. He's crawling. When we throw a ball across the floor, he races after it on his hands and knees. He can see. When we clap our hands over his head, he jumps. He can hear. Medical science had laid the burden down. God had taken over. The little boy rapidly recovering or getting what he had never had, not recovering. I have a friend down in Honolulu. He was called one day to the hospital by one of our native sisters who had a child there with polio. He said, Bishop, hurry up to the hospital. Give my child a blessing. That was one morning. He never showed up all day. Next afternoon, he went up. And she started giving him a tongue lashing. You, my bishop, your own boss, I ask you to come and bless my child, seriously ill, and you don't show up. And he waited until she had finished. And then he said, 
When I hung up the receiver yesterday, I started to fast. I've been fasting and praying. He said, now I'm ready. That was early in the afternoon. He blessed the child. The child went home that evening, released from the hospital. This kind cometh not out, save by fasting and by prayer. I went into a hospital in New Zealand one day to bless a woman who didn't belong to the church. And she was dying. We all knew she was dying. The doctors had said so. And she was having her farewell party. Ah, that's one thing I like about the natives. When you go, they give you a farewell party. <laughs> they all gather around. They send messages over to the other side. When you get over there, tell my mother I'm trying to do my best. I'm not so good, but I'm trying. Tell her to have a good room fixed for me when I get over there. Plenty of fish, good meal. Ah, it's wonderful the way they send you off. Well, here they were all gathered around, this poor sister. She was about to be confined, and the doctor told her it would kill her. She was tubercular from head to foot. I had with me an old native, almost 90. She was his niece. He stood up at the head of the bed, and he says, Vera, you're dead. <laughs> you're dead because the doctor says you're dead. You're on your way out. He says, I've been to you, your home, and to your people, my relatives. I'm the only one that joined the church. None of you has ever listened to me. But he says, you're dead now. But he says, you're going to live. And he turned to me and he says, is it all right if we kneel down and pray? And I said, yes. We knelt down and everybody around there knelt down. And after the prayer, we blessed her. The last time I was in New Zealand, she had had her fifth child. Physically well from head to foot. She's never joined the church yet. That's the next miracle I'm waiting for. <laughs> there. Well, now this is just psychological effect, isn't it? There's nothing to this priesthood business. It's only psychological effect. But where was the psychological effect on that little boy in the county hospital that was so unconscious he didn't even know we were praying over him? Wasn't even conscious of what we were doing. I was called to a home in a little village in New Zealand one day. There the Relief Society sisters were preparing the body of one of our saints to place his body out in front of the big house, as they call it, where the people come to wail and weep and mourn over the dead. And in rushed the dead man's brother. He says, administer to him. The young native said, why, we shouldn't do that. He's dead. You do it. And so this same old man that I had with me when his niece was so ill, he was there. And a younger native, the younger native got down on his knees and he anointed this man. And this great old sage, he got down and he blessed him. He commanded him to arise. You should have seen the Relief Society sisters scatter. 
He sat up and he said, send for the elders. I don't feel very well. <laughs> now, of course, all that was just psychological effect on that dead man. <laughs> Wonderful, isn't it? This psychological effect business. <laughs> well, we told him he had just been administered to, and he says, oh, he says, that was it. He says, I was dead. And he says, I could feel life coming back into me just like a blanket unrolling. Now, he outlived the brother that came in and said administer to him. I've told the story about the little baby, nine months old, was born blind. Father came up with him one Sunday and said, Brother Collie, our baby hasn't been blessed yet. We'd like you to bless it. I said, why, why have you waited so long? Oh, I just didn't get around to it. Ah, that's the native way. I like that. Just don't get around to doing things. Why not live and enjoy it? I said, all right, what's the name? So he told me the name, and I was just going to start. He said, uh, by the way, give him his vision when you give him the name. He was born blind. Well, I shocked me. Then I said to myself, why not? Why not? Christ said to his disciples when he left them, greater things than I have done shall you do. And I had faith in that father's faith. And after I gave that child its name, I finally got around to giving it its vision. That boy's about 12 years old now. Last time I was back there, I was afraid to inquire about it. I was sure he'd gone blind again. It's the way my faith works sometimes. So I asked the branch president about him. He says, Hey, Hoa, Brother Cowley, that's the worst thing you ever did, was to bless that child to receive its vision. He's the meanest kid in this neighborhood. <laughs> Always getting into mischief. Boy, I was thrilled about that kid <laughs> getting into mischief. <laughs> well, easy or simple things, you know. I'm not on the Indian reservation. Oh, it's time for me to quit. <laughs> I'll tell this one quit. I was on the Indian reservation, and I met a sister who had just joined the church. Beautiful Navajo woman. My, they dress beautifully down there. I've never seen an immodestly dressed Indian. Never seen any indecent exposure <laughs> from an Indian. Beautiful velvet dresses. They leave everything to the imagination. <laughs> Modesty, my, it's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful to be modest. And they get on these beautiful dresses and go out and buy their groceries at the trading post and so on. Anyway, this sister, after I'd met her, one of the missionaries called me off the side and he says, a few months ago, my companion and I went into a hogan and that light lady, that Indian sister, was lying on the ground on a sheepskin. Been lying there for six long years. We called on her and when we were leaving, she called us back. And she said in her broken English, isn't there something you do for sick people? 
And they said, yes. She says, please do it for me. So they got down on their, knee, on their knees and administered to her by the authority of the priesthood and in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they left, and they weren't away 50 yards, and she came out of the Hogan after them. Says, come back and see what you've done for me. She walks. God does have control of all of these elements. You and I can reach out. If it's his will, we can bring those elements under our control for his purposes. I know that God lives. I know that Jesus is the Christ. I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. And if there was ever a miracle in the history of mankind, that miracle is this church, which has grown to its present greatness in the earth and your institution here. From the prayer of a boy who was persecuted, who was driven from pillar to post, whose life was taken, who's been branded as the greatest fraud that ever lived on the American continent. This church, from that kind of a fraud, is the greatest miracle of modern history. And it's a miracle of God our Father. May you all have an inward witness that Joseph Smith was a prophet, that God used him to bring about his purposes in this dispensation of the fullness of times. May we always be loyal, devoted, and simple in our faith. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.